In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Always look on the light side of life. If life seems jolly rotten, there's something you've forgotten. And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing. When you're feeling in the dumps, don't be silly chumps. Just purse your lips and whistle, that's the thing. And always look on the bright side of life. Good morning, Cleveland. So, Paul has handed me over this week of shows, Tuesday to Friday, to do whatever I want. And the reason why they're special is because one year ago today, on Friday, my good friend, and he would have been a lover of this podcast, Sashi Brown, was taken from us by the evil Jimmy Haslam. So, we're doing a special week of shows. We've got some fantastic guests lined up just to talk analytics in sport. Don't worry, it's not just going to be a Sashi Love Fest. We're talking wider and data in sport and what's going on. So to start them week of shows, we've got the fantastic Eric Eager from PFF. He's one of their data scientists and the co-host of the awesome PFF Forecast Show. How are you, Eric? I'm doing well, man. How about you? I'm good. Um, it's Despite it obviously being a, a sad time of the year, I'm, I'm really upbeat because, hey, got a fantastic bunch of guests and uh talking browns and analytics so what could be better yeah it's a it's a good time i think to be a browns fan honestly i I was at the game i live in cincinnati so i was at the game the other day and uh i I don't know if i've seen a a rookie quarterback have as much command over the game uh as, as baker mayfield was the other day so uh just you know uh, despite, you know, Sashi not being there anymore, I think, you know, if you're a Browns fan, uh, there's a, there's an awful lot to look forward to uh, moving forward here. Yeah, no, it, it was an interesting one, even though he, he's no longer there. Uh, when Dorsey was sat there um, at the press conference explaining why he took Baker Mayfield, I remember PFF Steve going, I think he just read out uh, Premium Stats 2.0, all the reasons why we love Baker Mayfield. So, fingers crossed, someone is running around and providing him them sheets of data. Yeah, and I, and I you know, Paul D. Podesta, who, uh, you know, from Moneyball fame, uh, very much, I think, is still a part of that. Uh, you know, the people that I've met uh, with the Browns uh, at conferences and things like that, they seem pretty sharp. So, you know, I, I do think Sashi was very much a, a figurehead uh, that, um, you know, meant something to the analytics community for sure and, and certainly would rather he be there. Um, but I do think that the Browns, you know, when they let him go, didn't necessarily turn their backs uh, on data and analytics the way necessarily that, that some people, uh, you know, would imply. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I, you have to be really happy with, you know, what they've done the last couple of drafts in terms of turning over Mayfield, Ward, uh, you know, Miles Garrett was great. I know people might want to have wanted them to get Mahomes or Watson, but Garrett ended up being has ended up being a terrific player as well. So I don't know. I think things are bright for for the Browns, and and a lot of that can be attributed to some of the vision that uh, Sashi Brown had. Okay, so how does someone like Sashi use data? Because obviously people go, oh, he's just using data, and uh, he's a nerd. Um, but what's that actually mean when people say it? 
Yeah, I mean, for us, for example, you know, you you think about how to try to contextualize things. So, you know, when when Mayfield was playing at Oklahoma, he, you know, he was playing in a in a air raid sort of scheme where, you know, it's very difficult to discern whether or not uh, the production that the guy has in college is the same or would be, you know, be able to be projected into the pros. So, but what we can do is we can add context. So, one of the things that we did was we took. Uh, the data um, that uh, quarterbacks produced uh, at the pro level and at the college level, we looked at the pro level data and found which types of throws really differentiated uh, the the you know players who were good and the players who were bad, and essentially threw out all other data points. And even when you did that, even when you threw out like the bubble screens and the the you know the throws, the hitches that sort of every quarterback can make. Uh, Mayfield still looked like the best quarterback in college football a season ago. And so um, what you can do there is sort of bust that narrative, whereas some other guys might actually legitimately be propped up by scheme in college and might not project to the pros. Uh, Somebody like Mayfield, I think when you use analytics and use data, you can sort of drill down and really understand, uh, you know, if that player has, I think, what it takes at the the next level. Good to hear. So one of the names that was floated as a potential head coach rather than Hugh, and it came out more recently, was they were looking at Matt Patricia. And while his start as head coaching might not have been promising, could you have imagined a rocket scientist coaching the team, Sashi in the front office? Might there have actually been a little bit of harmony between the two? Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, Patricia seems like a a nice guy and and certainly um, has the, the... uh, I think uh, academic credentials uh, for sure to have to have fit in. Interesting because you know he the Patriots the the worst kept secret in the NFL is how much the Patriots themselves use analytics, um, and you know obviously he's a part of it. I you know I've heard you know some some st- stories about the Excel macros that uh, that Matt Patricia could you know spin up uh, in, in his study. Uh, of the game as a defensive coordinator. So far, it really hasn't, you know, materialized in Detroit. I do know that they are uh, a pretty analytically sound team at times, but uh, their approach to sort of trying to run the football more often, um, you know, their difficulties having growing pains defensively. Uh, I wonder, you know, it makes me wonder whether or not he would have had some success in Cleveland. Um, but, you know, he he certainly has some, you know, as a Belichick assistant, he's done a pretty good job. Uh, over the course of his time. So I don't know. I think some, it does bear, you know, to remind people that I think some guys can have a lot of success as coordinators and have difficult times as head coaches. And then, you know, on egg, for example, Andy Reid's tree, we've seen that his assistants have been pretty good head coaches. So it's difficult. And I I think coaching is probably more difficult to project than anything else, uh, even, even more than players. It's, uh, it, it, are we not going to see a PFF stat for coaches anytime soon then? <laughs> well, we, we do have coaching metrics. Um, uh, you know, one of the things that we try to do is take, um, you know, how well a team does on a per play basis and then kind of, kind of take away what the team is endowed with uh, in terms of talent and then kind of like, okay, that difference is coaching. Um, and and we, we do have coaching metrics. It just, the difficulty is, is that oftentimes, like, we don't want to say, you know, bad things about some coaches, you know, and, and I think Patricia in his time, it's been kind of more of a middle of the pack to kind of like a lower end, uh, you know, coordinator. Um, but I, I, get, I haven't really actually looked at him. I do know that he's not necessarily one of the top guys that keeps popping up 
Um, but, you know, the success that they've had in New England certainly is not something that you can question. Fantastic. So the growing debate seems to be running versus passing. You hear about all the time. Just give us a brief explanation on why passing makes more sense. Yeah, I mean, the thing, so you hear it all the time with people, you know, will say, you know, this team has a really good record when they rush for over 100 yards or when they give the ball to their running back over 20 times. And usually that's that's more of the, you know, people confusing which variable is explanatory and which variable is the response. Um, usually you run the football when you're ahead, as you saw with the Browns on Sunday against Cincinnati. Um, so, you know, all those carries are not the reason the Browns are ahead. The Browns are ahead, and hence they give the ball to Nick Cubb a lot in the second half of the game. Um, when we look at, like, whether it's, you know, PFF grades or whether it's simple, like, yards per play or whether it's uh, expected points, you get a substantial markup in ability to explain and ability to predict uh, who wins a football game based upon how you pass the ball and then to a lesser extent how well you stop the pass. Running the ball and then to a lesser extent how you stop the run are actually far more – uh, you know, far less important variables. And so uh, that's just something that's been, you know, made its way through the analytical community. I know people like Brian Burke, you know, uh, a decade ago uh, had learned this, but it's been sort of repeated uh, over and over since. And I think that we're starting to see uh, some of the fruits of the, that labor, but we've also seen some teams sort of revolt and, and want to run the football more, uh, maybe to uh, sort of go against the grain. So do running backs matter? Uh in the passing game, I think they can matter. I think um, in the running game, uh, they're very dependent upon the, the play of their offensive line. So uh, in terms of trying to, you know, if I'm going to use my dollars to buy into players, I'm far more likely to use my dollars to buy into guys who affect the passing game. And if I really do want to establish the run, I'm going to buy players who can uh, pass block or pass and run block. Uh, because I think if, if they can do those things, then the holes will be open for the running back. Um, and then usually what you can see is guys who are, you know, pretty effective. So, for example, Philip Lindsay's an undrafted free agent for Denver, and, and he's had a terrific season so far on the stat sheet. Uh, last, but last week against uh, Pittsburgh, averaged 5.3 yards before contact after the carry. So I would argue that almost any running back could have an effective day on the ground if you're not touched before five yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And so, you know, obviously there are, some, there are some players who can make more creative plays in the open field. There are some players who catch the ball better and, and guys that pass protect better. But on, on, you know, I think there's no other position in which you could probably find an undrafted free agent that can give you 90% of what the best players at the position can get, can get you on a per-play basis. Yeah, I definitely sat there through the whole pre-draft process thinking we might end up with Saquon Barkley and Josh Allen. And that... I cannot describe the pain I would have been in um, as a fan to see that as the outcome of years of Sashi. Yeah, and I, I don't think it could have. I don't think it could have gone any better in the other direction for the Browns, to be quite honest. Yeah, well, I, I'd argue that a cheeky trade back at four for the Bills, uh, like twelfth in their first this year, would have been just that that little bit mm -hmm. better. But hey, I can understand why it, when uh, coverage is there and uh, brings us on to coverage versus pass rush. Why was Ward better than Chubb? Taking sort of the players out of the question, is that do you want another elite pass rusher or the difference Denzel Ward and cornerbacks make? Yeah, I think so. One example uh, to sort of, you know, and the, the data just backs it up. If you look at PFF grades, uh, pass rushing versus coverage, coverage explains winning games far more 
than pass rush. And I think one anecdote to sort of show this is the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, the Philadelphia Eagles with, with Fletcher Cox and with Brandon Graham, uh, Chris Long, uh, you know, this year, Michael Bennett, they've always been very good at pressuring the quarterback. Um, and, and yet over the course of the, say the last four or five years, they've never, it's never really translated into wins for them except the one season where they got a Ronald Darby off of, off of a trade. Patrick Robinson had a career year as their nickel guy. Rodney McLeod stayed healthy a whole year and played well. Uh, and then uh, uh, Malcolm Jenkins uh, was also a, a very instrumental player. When they got their, their secondary in order, depth there, quality there, that's when they were good enough to win the Super Bowl. This season, we've seen a lot of guys get injured for them, frankly. Their pass rush is still very good uh, grade-wise. Uh, they still do a very good job of beating players up front, but teams can take advantage of them because you can throw the ball on first and second down uh, because there, there are open plays everywhere when you can't cover anybody. So if the Browns were to get another pass rusher, they're still going to have an issue on first down and 10 when you know a quarterback can rise up and in under two and a half seconds throw the ball uh, at Terrence Mitchell's guy or, or TJ Carey's guy or, or whatever, Denzel Ward being able to eliminate another player uh, on the other team makes that quarterback look at his second read or makes that quarterback throw to a weaker receiver. It just makes the, the, uh, uh, the team, you know, that much weaker offensively when you have to, you know, take away, you know, full field reads and things like that. And, and obviously they're complementary. Good pass rush makes coverage easier because you don't have to hold up as long. Also, coverage makes pass rush easier because if you can cover your guy for, you know, two-tenths of a second more, the pass rush has an easier chance uh, of, of getting home. So, they're complementary, certainly, but I would prefer the guys that can cover because they're the hardest to hide. Uh, and, and you can, I think, find pass rushers, uh, you know, later on in the draft as well. So, uh, I think the pick of Ward was extremely sage on the, on the part of the Browns. Good stuff. Um, uh, it was one that it, it did surprise me at the time because everyone had said Chubb up until that point and it, it was sort of the consensus pick. But, hey, two bold picks and they have paid off. Um, so the balance between coverage of a linebacker versus coverage of a DB because linebackers now, people are going, oh, that linebacker is actually really good in coverage. There seems to be a general acceptance they don't have to be as good in coverage with some people in the big media. Is that... As big a thing as obviously a cornerback in coverage is their main job. Yeah, well, I do think it's less important for a linebacker to be good in coverage, um, but I also think that the 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 I think the bar is also lower. Like for a linebacker in coverage, you basically have to let the guy in front of you catch the ball and make a tackle, right? Which is what they're trained to do. Um, I, I do think you can exploit linebackers with with really good running backs in the passing game, um, but. So my answer would be it's more important for a linebacker to be able to cover than to be able to stop the run. Um, but it's less important to have a brilliant coverage linebacker than it is to have a brilliant coverage corner. Okay. Turnovers on defense. Obviously the Browns came out the gates like nothing I've ever seen. Um, watching the NFL start this season, they were turnovers left, right and center. Some diving like catches in the air to punch a ball out. Someone's just caught. Is it sustainable? Obviously, it's a big thing now in the NFL. There's people out there saying it's not about yards anymore. It's all about getting those turnovers. Um, is it sustainable? Is it something that's going to keep going for the Browns? Uh, you know, I think good defense is sustainable. To, good defense isn't even that sustainable, to be quite honest. So you look at, like, the Jacksonville Jaguars, 
were second a season ago in, in I believe, yards allowed and points allowed. And this season, they're kind of a shell of themselves. Um, the issue with defense is that, you know, cluster injuries, as we've seen with Atlanta, as we've seen with Philadelphia, uh, can really tank a defense. Um, so efficacy at the defense for defenses isn't particularly stable. And then turnovers are even less so. And, and it's for the reasons that you that you can, I think, see pretty easily. It's like fumble, you know, the whichever team recovers a fumble is basically 50-50. So if you have a streak of consecutive games where you're recovering 75% of those fumbles, then, you know, you, you know that there's some regression there. Um, and then interception, there's a ton of, you know, interception luck. Oftentimes, interceptions are a product of the ball bouncing off a receiver's hand, uh, quarterback sailing a pass, even from a clean pocket. So turnovers are one of those things that are pretty unsustainable. Uh, and I think they have been for the majority of, of you know, the NFL, uh, you know, season and, and uh, seasons. And, and I think um, if you were to sort of try to project, uh, you know, how many turnovers a defense is going to force, you're probably more likely to look at who the opposing quarterback is than to look at how, how good the defense uh, on the field is, 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 you know, is playing at the time. So it's one of those unsustainable things. And, and you know, the NFL season is a short season, so you can see teams who create turnovers all 16 games of the year. And, and still, that's not necessarily that statistically, statistically noticeable um, from, from chance. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately I would say, you know, just, I would fade the sort of turnover idea, uh, you know, for a team, especially one that created as many as the Browns did early on in the season. Now, if, if there was ever going to be a slogan for analytics, it'd be regression to the mean It's something Mm -hmm. you hear time and time again. And when you sit there and think about it, it's just logical, but, uh, it's one that you get carried away when you see them interceptions. It's like, let's have five every game, um, Mm -hmm. and things like that. The, the future of analytics in the NFL, because it's something literally everyone other than David Gettleman is embracing. Um, mm-hmm. Where do you see it going? Uh, you know, I, I do think that we, we have to get better um, as a community of certainly communicating these things. Um, you know, I think we at PFF probably do a better job than we used to do. Uh, but there are still people in the community who are relentlessly attacking you know, the, the, the coaches and the GMs for the decisions they make. And I think that's fair. And I, I think the, the criticisms are fair, but I also think that we've never, we've never been able to convince somebody to believe what we believe on Twitter, you know, in 145 characters or whatever. So, uh, you know, I, I think we just need to be better communicators. And I think having podcasts like this and having podcasts like the forecast and, and, you know, and, and I think just being able to have a level-headed discussion uh, about where it's going um, is an, is extremely important, but every single team buys into PFF. We have all 32 as our clients. So I think that the future is bright. I, I do know that there are other companies that are doing good work as well. Um, so, you know, I, we, we probably need to get better as a community of de- at developing tools, communicating them better. But I think that certainly the, the arrow is moving up in terms of analytics in the NFL and, and it's exciting. I think the next step should be some bold owner to go, right, we hired Sashi and he didn't quite work. Let's just hire PFF. Come on, boys. You're all coming in. You guys run the team and let's see what happens. Because you've got everything from the college scouting to the, you cover the draft, you can cover free yeah. agency. Everything's covered. So some bold owner's got to turn it over to you guys at some point and see what happens. Yeah, that, that, that would be interesting to see what happens. And hopefully, you know, obviously with Sashi, the issue was variance. You know, and 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 uh, the owner got you know uh, a happy feet, and you know, and wasn't able to deal with the variance associated with a couple of bad seasons. But 
uh, that would be the thing that would worry me the most is, you know, for every Doug Peterson, there's also a Sashi Brown, right? So you, you get both sides of it. Both sides had really good process. One ended up winning the Super Bowl and the other person got fired. Uh, and so that would be my, my trepidation at it. But yeah, I, I think it'd be kind of fun to see a team run completely with principal, analytics principles. Yeah. So what changes slash new data, and it might be something that's not even currently measured by the NFL, would you like to see and would make your stuff interesting? So they've talked about like the uh, data chips in players' pads to uh, measure what they're doing. What's out there? What would you love to see? Uh, you know, I, I, those are all, uh, obviously the tracking data provides a lot of promise. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think they're quite there yet in terms of some of the things that they can offer, but uh, I do think that they do good work and, and there's a lot of promise there. For me, the one that I always get to is thinking about how to, how to model a player's makeup. Um, you know, like Baker Mayfield clearly ha has the, the gumption or the grit uh, that, that you want in a franchise quarterback. Um, and it's not clear that some of the, some other players do. Um, is there a way to mathematically come up with a way uh, to take you know to take a data set and you know non-biasedly uh, come up with you know his grit score or you know I do I do know some teams do that internally, but I, I would say you know for me that would be an interesting avenue to go on because you know there's so much you know as having played the game before, I know that one of my shortcomings was certainly the way that I approached the game mentally. Um, and I, and I know that there are tons of players who are a hundred times more talented than I ever was that still don't end up making it very you know, long because they just don't have it uh, mentally. And, and so if there are ways to analytically figure out if players are coachable, if players have grit, um, if players are going to be able to sustain, um, you know, uh, the mental aspect of the game, I think that would be uh, to me a Holy grail to, to, to have. It, it would be fascinating seeing that data as everyone's got their chart in front of the TV um, and just going mad when you draft a player that that data said, this guy is not going to make it. Um, yep. What is your very, very, very hot take for the Browns this offseason? And be bold. Um, I threw some crazy stuff out there uh, recently. I said the day before the game that Demarius Randall would catch an interception and give the ball to Hugh Jackson. And it actually happened a day later. So that's crazy. It, it be, be bold. Anything you fancy. It doesn't have to be even realistic. I think the Browns have. I think the Browns have a better than a better than even shot at winning the a AFC North next year. So better than twenty five percent. I think. I think if you look at the landscape of that division, uh, Pittsburgh is starting to show some cracks. Uh, especially I think Big Ben at some point in time is going to show his age. Uh, he has not played well this year. They've been, I think, out, they've outcoached everybody, honestly, offensively. Um, you know, there are some obvious issues there, I think, with that team. And I think Lamar Jackson is not as good of a prospect as Baker Mayfield, and quarterback matters the most. And I think the Bengals are going to be a team uh, that's probably going to be poor for the next couple of years. So if you're a Browns fan, I think you you can be pretty – confident in the in the idea that next season your prospects for the AFC North are not uh not a long shot you have a legitimate shot to win the division and in an AFC that's not particularly strong what that means is that you have an opportunity uh to play for a Super Bowl at some point in time in the near future I like the sound of that I, th I think it's promising if we can steal that sort of AFC East of uh, one team dominates it and the other three are falling over each other for who finishes last then uh, it could be a very nice next five, ten years. 
Absolutely. And I think that, so the other, the other hot take that I had, and I've been, I've been using this around the office and people have been deriding me. And I, I think other people have had this idea as well. So I'm not going to take credit for it. But I, the, the thing that I think would make the league the most fun would be to see Bill Belichick coach the Browns again. Yes. I would love that. I would go absolutely mad if that happened. So uh, that, would, that would be the dream. I don't think it's going to happen, but uh, we can all live in uh, hope. Is there anything else you want to add? Any questions? No, I think, I mean, this has been fun. I, you know, uh, I always, you know, it's always interesting to talk to Browns fans because I know uh, one of my best friends in graduate school was a Browns fan. So we used to watch a lot of the games together. And I don't think I've, I don't think I, I certainly have not felt what you guys have felt, but I had a contact high of, of what it, what's, what it's like to be a Browns fan uh, for four years uh, uh, in my, in my younger days. So I certainly, I, I certainly can understand what you guys are going through and, and, what, what I can uh, what I can assure you is that uh, it, it'll it'll get better. Well, I became a Browns fan two and a half years ago, the day they hired Paul De Podesta. Um, so uh, it's it, it's looking a lot better than it has recently. But there was a plan in place, and uh, it got us through the dark days. But a massive thank you for coming on. Plug yourself. Where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, so I'm at uh, at PFF underscore Eric. Um, and yeah, uh, my colleague George Shahuri and I host a podcast called the PFF Forecast. It's on iTunes. It's on Podcast One. It's also on YouTube most weeks. So we'll record the podcast and have it uh, be uh, a YouTube thing where it's in our studio. A lot of fun. We talk about, you know, basically, you know, the NFL. We talk about some sports betting. Uh, and and uh, I, it's a lot of, it's, it's a great time every single week. So go ahead and give that a listen. And uh you know, I really appreciate you having me on. I listen to it every week, wake up on Monday morning, they tell me who's going to win all the games next Sunday, and you don't even have to watch them. It's, uh, it's that easy. So if you like betting on sport, make sure you listen to them, guys. I love the off-season editions even more when they go through and start breaking stuff down, like the difference between left and right tackle, uh, between pass coverage and uh, pass rush. So loads of awesome shows out there, guys. Thank you so much for coming on, Eric. And let's just remember... Sashi might come back one day. Maybe we can always hope. We'll always live in hope. Thank you very much and have a great rest of the week.